Hallelujah. Because God wants to talk to us about how to walk from above here in the earth beneath. And so, at this point, I'm going to swerve into something that I call examples. From today on, um, I'm going to share with you examples about how to do those seven laws that we learned, seven laws from above, and our scripture text, I might as well read it, is Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If you have then been raised with Jesus Christ, keep seeking things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the world, for <clears throat> you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So seven truths I've shared with you to help you to walk in the reality from above while you're living in the reality of the physical world beneath. So here are examples, and today I want to start with the first example that um, exemplifies the very first law that I shared with you. The first law I shared with you is above is a person, not an environment. Above is a person, not a place, not an environment, not a set of conditions, but a person. Now when Jesus spoke about above, he was speaking about relationship with God, not about going to heaven. He wasn't speaking about heaven, he was speaking about the Father. So when Jesus spoke about above, in his mind, above is a person, it's it's. It's, it's God. Now, relationship with an environment requires very little change on your part. People want to have a relationship with an environment. They want to be in a certain place. But having a relationship with an environment doesn't require much change on your part to be there. You can have a relationship with an environment and basically stay yourself. You can stay the same. You're, you're free to just kind of be what you are. But... To have a relationship with a person is completely different. Relationship with a person costs you a lot, costs you really everything. You really do have to open yourself up to change, to be able to adapt. So a relationship with a person, totally different than a relationship with an environment. Above is not a place, it's a person. So living from above, it's not about where you are in your circumstances, it's about where you are in your relationship with God. When you ask, am I living from above? The answer has to do with not going and checking your bank account, your house, your circumstances, your wife, your relationship, your husband, the things going on in your life. Check your walk with God. Check your relationship with Jesus because that's where you find out whether you're above or not. So, okay, that's the basic truth. Um, <clears throat> above is a person, not an environment. So how do I apply this truth? Well, <clears throat> applying this truth begins with changing how you think about above. It begins with thinking less than, uh, thinking less about where you're at and more about who you're with. When you go through your days, think of tomorrow you're going to get up, you're going to start a new week. Wherever you go, wherever you go, think, begin to practice this. Think less about where are you 
and how you like the conditions where you are. Do they suit you? Are, are they not suitable to you? Think more about who's with me. Is Jesus with me? Everywhere you go, the question that's most important, who is with me, not where am I? In fact, when Jesus called his disciples, the Bible tells us in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, the scripture says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Notice, the world doesn't need more Christians out preaching who aren't with him. Because people can't hear or see above in a Christian who's not with Jesus, but's talking all about Jesus. That's an environmental Christian, not an above Christian. So we begin by changing first how we think, our orientation. Being above is about being with Jesus. The world fixates on environment. God have mercy. I just, you just want to th throw something at the television set if I've got to listen to one more person losing their mind over the environment, like it really matters, like it really makes a difference about what they are as people. I'd be much more interested to hear somebody get on and talk about what they are like and what's going on in their life instead of trying to control me with their fences and control mechanisms over the environment. So, being above is about being with Jesus. Jesus, he is the environment of above. Everything revolves around him. You're never going to be in heaven in a state of blessing if you're not in Jesus. That's why it's so silly when you see these award shows on TV and here's all the half-naked women. Uh, prancing back and forth and, and strutting like they just climbed off the pole, saying, well, I am just so blessed to be here. The fact is, nobody's blessed until they're with Jesus. If you're not with Jesus, honey, you're not blessed. You can say it all you want, but it's not an environment, it's a person. Somebody say praise the Lord. So before you let the world draw you into obsessing over whether the place you're in is good, healthy, accepting, safe, affirming, and helpful, or whether it's bad, unhealthy, rejecting, dangerous, critical, and harsh, remember that what really matters is who's with you, not what the conditions are like where you're at. Who are you with in those circumstances? This is how you do above. It's focusing on who you're with, being with Jesus, rather than obsessing over the quality of your conditions. You see, in the world, because they're without God, all they have is their environment. And so in the world, location, rank, abundance, and quality are what sets you above in life. Everybody in the world 
strives for location, rank, abundance, and quality in order to get ahead, in order to get above. And being above is a measurement that's made by measuring others around you. Am I above them? Am I better than them? Have I got more than them? It's funny how we're not happy or satisfied until we see where we are relative to other people. But we know where that satisfaction comes from. You'll never find above, the above that, that God's talking about. You'll never find above looking for it in better neighborhoods, better education, better careers, looking for it in elevated social standing, more money, more opportunities, or better people and nicer things. None of those things, should you find them, should you obtain them, none of them will actually elevate you. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that the people that are ahead of you in rank are oftentimes worse than you when it comes to the measure of a person? And so none of those things that the world says put us above actually ever elevate you. Because above is not found in a situation. And Christians have got to break that formula. It's a lying formula that if I can change my environment, change my situation, then I can convince myself and others that I'm above. But the Christians who really were above were oftentimes in the most unenviable of circumstances. They were the low people on the totem pole. They were the last. They were the ugliest. Or, or they were the poorest. They were in places that nobody else wanted to be in. Yet they were above. So, above is not found in situations. You're above. You're above is waiting for you in Jesus. You will find your above in your relationship with Jesus. Hallelujah. So no matter where you are, it's your obedience to Jesus that puts you above. There's the million-dollar phrase in my message this morning. No matter where you are, your obedience to Jesus is what puts you above. Because you can think you're with Jesus because you're in church. You can think you're with Jesus because you profess to be a Christian. Or the Holy Spirit really does live in you and you're born again. But being with Jesus is being with Jesus. And nobody was ever with Jesus without obeying Jesus. Being with Jesus takes work. Being with Jesus takes sacrifice. Nobody is with Jesus who hasn't paid a price of denying self and taking up the cross to be with him. You can't be with the crucified Savior if you are not living the crucified life. I can almost hear the silence in this room this morning. 
We think we're with Jesus because we're with the symbols and the emblems of Jesus. We think we're with Jesus because in our mind we're with Jesus. But you're not above unless you're with Jesus and nobody's with Jesus who doesn't obey Jesus. Somebody say amen. If you're able, praise the Lord. It's the discipline of following Jesus through daily prayer, Bible study, and devotion to ministry. Ahead of worldly pursuits, that actually sets you above. As a Christian, you're not above because you go to a church that believes the right things. There are lots of Christians who have no devotion to ministry. Yet Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow. A plow is an instrument that, that, that breaks up the fields of the world. Jesus does not see a disciple that does not have their hand to the plow. So it's not just devotion, but it begins there. Daily devotion of prayer and Bible study and fellowship. Self-adjusting, convicting, checking yourself. Touching Jesus in every situation. Am I all right in this right now? And letting Jesus adjust you. And then putting devotion to his ministry ahead of your own career. Ahead of your own ambitions. Ahead of your own demanding schedules. Even schedules that God has given you assignments to complete. You can't do them if in halfway through fulfilling that schedule of something God's given you to do, like to be a husband or to be a wife. You see, Martha was taking care of business, but Jesus said she had somehow lost what it meant to be with Jesus while she was doing it. Mary chose the better part, to be with him. It's your obedience to Jesus that puts you above. So following Jesus above worldly pursuits is required of every Christian if you're going to live above. Now let me share some examples with you. I've got about three or four of them. My first is Paul and Silas, and you might guess that I'm going to talk about Paul and Silas arrested and thrown into that miserable jail in Philippi. They were beaten, they were threatened, and then they were thrown in irons down in the hole of that jail. This is not like being in the Pinellas County Jail. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who's been there, but um, I think it's got to have been a painful situation as well as a shameful, and you can just go ahead and fill in all of the, fill in all the blanks, but Paul and Silas are at midnight, tired, beaten, in pain, in the bowels of misery in that Philippian jail. But from that hole in that jail, they entered above. From that jail, they, not after God delivered them out, while they were in the middle of it. At midnight, when they were most tired and least interested, and probably even talking to one another, much less praising God, they entered into above. Hallelujah. 
How did they get to above from the bowels of that jail? They did it by obedience. They obeyed the word of God that says, give thanks in all things. They didn't wait for the morning when they were released. It's right then, right there. And the Bible says they did it loudly. Aren't we going to make people angry? We're in here for preaching, and now we're going to be shouting praises to our Jesus. They did it at midnight, and the Bible says that God sent an angel, and you know the story. He shook that jail, and their bonds not only fell off them, fell off all the other prisoners, and they led the jailer and his entire family to Jesus. It was a wonderful event of above. They had an above session. Hallelujah. God turned that jail into temporary staging area of above. Why? Because Jesus was there. And he wasn't there because they were suffering as Christians. He was there because in their suffering, they decided to offer up their suffering as an opportunity to praise God. You see, they didn't enter above just because they were persecuted. We think the most glorious thing is to go through hardship as a Christian. And all of us have probably gone through some hardship in the, in the um, uh, act of sharing the gospel. I know I have, and, and, and if you haven't had that experience, go out and find it. Because you need it. But I can tell you, suffering as a Christian does not instantly transport you. It's the act of obedience to praise God in all things, to, to give Him glory, to magnify Him. I wonder how many of us miss the opportunity for God to reward us because when we are going through something, we're just bearing down and hoping we'll get through it. And we come out the other side and it doesn't, you know, trials and the night, the night doesn't come to stay, it comes to pass. And, you know, there's a morning. And so when the morning comes, your opportunity to have, to have really entered into above has passed you. Because you're not going to enter above just because you go through trials. It's what you do. It's obedience to Jesus. My second example of how you do this I take from the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? The thing that you need to understand about this, this young guy in, in Luke chapter 18 is that he had everything. And I mean everything, not just worldly things. He had, he had it together. He was not only wealthy, he was socially prominent and looked up to as a leader, which means he earned that position. Let me add something else. He was moral and he was a man of faith. He was not somebody who was a callous, rich person who obtained his wealth on the backs of poor people. He was a decent, God-fearing man of faith. He had everything. 
and he lost his opportunity to enter above because Jesus said, no matter all that you have and all that you've done, I put one thing before you. Give all of it, sell it, give it away, come, follow me. And that one thing was more than everything else that he had. That one thing defined everything he had worked for and everything he had done in this life. And that one thing is the one thing for you and I. Sell all and follow Jesus. I was thinking this morning, wondering how many pastors are standing in the pulpits of huge churches who have never sold anything to follow Jesus, who have never suffered to follow Jesus. In fact, they're just great talkers. They're great people persons. They're saved, filled with the Spirit, but they've never sacrificed, truly suffered to put the kingdom of God first. And out of their forsaking the world, taking up their cross to follow Jesus as, as just a poor disciple, the Lord advanced them by giving them responsibility in his kingdom. I wonder how many pastors are in pulpits this morning talking to their people who don't have any of that experience in their life. What are they doing talking to God's people? They don't know what they're talking about because the life of a Christian is the crucified life. And if you have not lived through the crucified life, you don't know what you're talking about. There's no authority, no power. You may be gifted, but you're not on fire. God may be using you because he's faithful. We need believers like you who will obey Jesus when it really costs them something. Are you listening to me? I'm preaching to you this morning about above and what it takes to get there. There's only one door, and it's not just through the general Jesus. It's uh, th through the generalized uh, churchy Jesus. It is through your personal cross that you sacrifice and put Jesus first. That's how, you, that's how he got there. How are you going to get there? If you don't go the way he went, somebody say amen. The rich young ruler walked away sad, the Bible says, because God had blessed him with many things. And I'm sure he felt, why would God give us all to me and then ask me just to ditch it, to follow Jesus? Because when Jesus showed up, no matter how wonderful all the things were that God had given him, the real wealth was standing right in front of him. And he lost above. That man lost above. Do you realize that? He lost above. And the disciples were standing watching this thing happen. And they could not believe it when Jesus let that guy walk away. He was everything that epitomized what they wanted what they thought they were following Jesus for. For God to bless them and put them in the position that he was in. And here he was walking away. And he was losing above. If what he had isn't above, what is above? Jesus said, 
You're not going to see it. I'm not going to outline it for you. I'm not going to guarantee anything. Look at me. If seeing me and deciding to follow me isn't enough for you to bid everything on above, then you're not ready. Go stay in the world for a while. How's that for an altar call? Hallelujah. How's that for an altar call? Maybe you can be one of us. That one thing that he lacked more than everything else that he had gained, that one thing, that was everything. That was everything. And so I say to you on a practical note, <clears throat> as you stand before every new door of endeavor or relationship in your life. Think about this now as I set this up, what I've just said. As you stand before every new door of opportunity, of endeavor, or new door of a potential relationship, shall I enter this? Shall I take this opportunity? Shall I involve myself with this person, with these people? Shall I go and give myself to this task, to this work. Before you run into it, before you jump into it, as you stand before that door, because every yes or no you give, you are crossing a threshold. As you stand at the door, the next time you find yourself at that door, which will probably be sometime either today or tomorrow, as you stand at that door, I want to warn you that Jesus is standing there with you. Jesus is standing there with you. And he is waiting to see if you will consult him. Do I go in or do I turn away? Forget about what the door offers. Forget about what it's about. Do I go in? I am your slave. I am your servant. You bought me with your blood. I owe you my life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live because I don't enter any door or turn away from any door unless he is leading me in or leading me away from it. And whether you obey or reject him will determine whether or not you have access to above in the decision that you make. In the choice that you make, will above be with you only if you follow Jesus into that commitment. Let me give you another example. Uh, how many of you know who D.L. Dwight L. Moody was? Moody was um, probably the greatest, if not one of the greatest, the greatest um, revivalist preachers of the 19th century. And he had tremendous tremendous ministry. And he was a complex man. It'd be great to study his life to find out what kind of a man does God entrust so much authority in the kingdom of God to? Well, there's a story that there, a city gathered all of its pastors together and they formed a committee and they, they wanted to have a citywide revival. And so they wanted to invite D.L. Moody to come and to be the revivalist. And so they were talking about it and trying to come to a decision. And a young man jumped up and he said, why Moody? Does Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? 
you can hear the attitude. You know, are we chopped liver? Why Moody? Does Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And there was silence. It was very awkward. And finally, an older, wise pastor stood up and said, no, but God has a monopoly on Moody. And people, that's what it all comes down to. It's not who Moody was or his abilities or any of those things. Does God have a monopoly on your life? Living above is about whether you're with Jesus. Does he monopolize your life? I'm going to give one last example, taken also from the story of the rich young ruler. After the rich young ruler walks away, as I said, the disciples, they're watching Jesus let this guy go. And, and they're, they're stunned. They are shocked. And they, they said to him, because Jesus had said how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. The disciples are absolutely amazed. And they said to Jesus, who then can be saved? Who, who can be saved? They're thinking about themselves at this point. And, and Peter speaks up and he says, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. We've left our wives and children. We've left our homes. We've left our businesses. We're following you, having forsaken everything. What do we get? With this last point, I want to share with you just how full of grace and love above really is. The door to enter may look gnarled and harsh. The cross is not pretty. But what's on the other side is unmeasurable love and favor unmeasurable love and favor because Jesus turns to the disciples and he said I'm glad you asked because every one of you who have left everything family business taken up your cross to follow me in this life you will receive 100 fold lands houses friends people you won't be able to go anywhere over the face of the earth, but that I will open up to you resources. Above will be with you. The abundance of grace from above will be with you. And I will give you 100 times more than anything you gave up. Only what I give you, you won't have to work for it. I just give it to you. I give it to you because you're a citizen of above. Because when you saw me, you saw King Jesus and you treasured me more than anything else. Jesus defined what above is. And I want to give you that definition. Um, I believe that Jesus was saying that above is a state of covenant privilege bestowed on those who choose to sacrifice everything to become a daily follower of Jesus. 
a state of covenant privilege today in the world. The world wants everything. They don't want to do anything for it, but they hate everyone who has privilege. That is a description of the insanity of the world. That philosophy is sinking our world. But privilege, God loves to give out privilege. When God gives you a privileged position, He doesn't care if people are envious. He doesn't care if it makes other people mad. In fact, God says, good, let them be jealous. Let them know what is waiting, what rewards above holds for anyone who will walk away from the world because they love King Jesus and he is their treasure. Loving Jesus, putting him first, and obeying the Lord has tremendous reward. Don't do it, and you'll have nothing. This is all or nothing. Hallelujah. Amen. So, above is a kingdom of overwhelming divine love and favor, waiting for people who sacrifice everything to make King Jesus their treasure. Is Jesus your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? So I'd like you to close your Bible. Stand with me. In this closing prayer, let's deal with that question. Is Jesus my treasure? Is Jesus my treasure? 